Chapter Four of the Western United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Western United States, a Geographical Reader, by Harold Wellman Fairbanks, Chapter Four, The Canyons of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. The western half of our country contains the deepest and most picturesque canyons in the world. Those of the Colorado and Snake Rivers form trenches in a comparatively level but lofty plateau region. The canyons of the Sierra Nevada Range, on the contrary, take their rise and extend for much of their length among rugged, snow-capped peaks, which include some of the highest mountains in the United States. All these canyons are the work of erosion. The rivers did not find depressions formed ready for them to occupy, but had to excavate their channels by the slow process of grinding away the solid rock. The streams of the Sierra Nevada mountains begin their course in steep walled alcoves under the shadows of the high peaks, where they are fed by perpetual snowbanks. Soon they bury themselves between granite walls, which at last tower three thousand feet above the roaring waters. After many miles the canyons widen, the walls decrease in height, and the streams come out upon the fertile stretches of the great valley of California. Nature works in many ways. Her tools are of different kinds, but the most important one is running water. The forms which she produces are dependent upon the kind of rock upon which she works. Where the surface of the earth is soft, the results of her labor are not very interesting. But if the crust is hard, the forms which she produces are often so remarkable that they arouse our wonder and admiration. In shaping the Sierra Nevada mountains, nature had a grand opportunity. Here she produced the Yosemite Valley, which has a setting of cliffs and waterfalls that attract people from all over the world. Hetch Hetchy Valley at the north of the Yosemite and to Hypite and King's River canyons at the south are interesting places, but not so majestic and inspiring as the Yosemite. Nature never seems satisfied with her work. After she has created a piece of wonderful scenery, she proceeds to destroy it. The great cliffs of the Yosemite will sometime lose their grandeur and be replaced by gentle slopes down which the streams will flow quietly. The mountains of the Laurentian highlands in the northeastern portion of the continent undoubtedly were once lofty and picturesque, but there were no people upon the earth at that time to enjoy this scenery. Now these mountains have become old, and are nearly worn down. In one portion of the earth after another, nature raises great mountain ranges, and immediately proceeds to remove them. This continent was discovered, and California was settled at the right time for the Sierra Nevadas to be seen in all their grandeur. When the pioneers came in sight of the Sierra Nevada, Snowy Range, they little dreamed of the canyons hidden among these mountains. Gold, and not scenery, was the object of their search. The great canyons were outside the gold regions, and so inaccessibly situated that no one except the Indians looked upon them until 1851. In that year a party of soldiers following the trail of some thieving Indians discovered and entered the Yosemite Valley, but it was not explored until 1855. For many years the valley could be reached only by the roughest trails, 
but as its advantages became more widely known, roads were built, and there are now three different wagon routes by which it may be entered. The history of the Yosemite Valley is like that of all the other canyons of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. Long ago, there were no high mountains in eastern California. If there had been explorers crossing the plains in those days, they would have found no rugged wall shutting them off from the Pacific. There came in time, however, when the surface of the western portion of America was broken by violent earthquake movements, and hundreds of fissures were formed. Some of the earth-blocks produced by these fissures were shoved upward, while others were dropped. One enormous block, which was to form the Sierra Nevada, was raised along its eastern edge until it stood several thousand feet above the adjoining country. The movement was like that of a trap-door, opened slightly, so that upon one side, in this case the western one, the slope was long and gentle, while upon the east it was very abrupt. Nature, the sculptor, took this mountain-block in hand, and with the aid of running water began to carve its surface into a most intricate system of canyons and ridges. The streams first flowed over the easiest slopes of the great valley of California, but soon they began to cut their way down into the granite, while along the crest of the ridges the more resistant rocks began to stand out as jagged peaks. Thus nature worked until the mountains promised before long to be well worn down. The canyons had widened to valleys, and the rugged slopes had given place to gentle ones. Toward the northern end of the range the work was even farther advanced, for the streams, now choked with gravel and sand, flowed over broad flood-plains, and this gravel was buried a part of the wealth of California. The rocks over which the streams flowed contains veins of quartz, with little particles of gold scattered through it, and as the surface rock crumbled and was worn away, the gold, being much heavier, slowly accumulated in the gravel at the bottom of the streams. This gold amounted in value to hundreds of millions of dollars. The forces within the earth became active again. Apparently nature did not intend that the gold should be forever buried, or that the country should always appear so uninteresting. Internal forces raised the mountain block for a second time, tilting it still more to the westward. Volcanoes broke forth along the summit of the range near the line of fracture, and floods of lava and volcanic mud ran down the slopes, completely filling the broad valleys of the northern Sierras, and burying a great part of the gold-bearing gravel. The eruptions turned the streams from their channels, but on the steeper slope of the mountains the rivers went energetically to work, making new beds. They cut down through the lava and the buried gravel until they finally reached the solid rock underneath. Into this rock, which we call bedrock, they have now worn canyons two thousand feet deep. The beds of gravel that lay under the old streams frequently form the tops of the hills between these deep canyons. Here they are easily accessible to the miners, who by tunnels or surface workings have taken out many millions of dollars worth of gold. The important canyons of the northern Sierras, where the gold is found, have been made by the American and Feather Rivers. Farther south are the deeper and more rugged canyons of the Tuolumne, Merced, Kings, and Kern Rivers, which open to us inviting pathways into the mountains. It might be supposed that the mantle of snow and ice, which at that time covered most of the surface of the earth, would have protected it from further erosion, 
but this was not the case. In the basin at the head of each stream the snow accumulated year after year until it was more than a thousand feet deep. Under the influence of the warm days and cold nights the snow slowly turned to ice, and moved by its own weight crept down into the canyons. The solid rock walls were ground and polished, and even now, so long a time after the glaciers have melted, some of these polished surfaces still glisten in the sunlight. The glaciers deepened and enlarged the canyons, but running water was the most important agent in their making. Upon the disappearance of the glaciers, the streams went to work again, deepening their canyons. From their starting points, under the lofty crags, they first ran through broad upland valleys, then tumbled into the canyons. But until they had reached the lower mountain slopes, to which the glaciers had not extended, they passed through a dreary and desolate region devoid of almost every sign of life. The glaciers had swept away all the loose rock and soil, and it was many long years before the surface again crumbled, so that forest trees could spread over it once more. The grandeur and attractiveness of the Yosemite is partly due to the precipitous cliffs enclosing the valley, some of which are nearly four thousand feet in height, partly to the high waterfalls, and partly to the green meadows and forest groves through which the Merced River winds. Although the glaciers had little to do with the making of the Yosemite Valley, yet they added to its attractiveness. The valley is situated where a number of smaller streams join the Merced River. Erosion was more rapid here because the granite was soft, while the vertical seams in the rock gave the growing valley precipitous walls. When the glacier came, it pushed out the loose rocks and boulders, and dropping a portion of them over the lower end, made a dam across the Merced River. At first a shallow lake filled the valley, but after a time the silt and gravel, which the streams were continually bringing in, filled the lake, and formed marshy flats. Finally grasses and trees spread over these flats, and gave the valley the appearance which it has to-day. Besides the meadows, the glaciers gave us two of the waterfalls. Yosemite Creek, which comes down over the walls twenty-seven hundred feet in three successive falls, was turned into its present channel by a dam, which a glacier had left across its old course. A glacier also turned the Merced River at its entrance to the main valley so as to form the Nevada Fall. After the valley had been made and clothed in vegetation, it was discovered by a small tribe of Indians who came here to make their home, secure from all their enemies. There were fish in the streams, and animals in the woods. The oaks supplied acorns, and in early summer the meadows were covered with strawberries. Legends were associated with many of the cliffs and waterfalls, for the Indians, like ourselves, are impressed by the wonders of nature. Hetchetchy Valley, twenty-five miles north of the Yosemite, has been formed upon much the same plan, but a portion of its floor is marshy, and there are few waterfalls. King's River Canyon has no green meadows and no high waterfalls, while its great granite walls are not so precipitous as those of the Yosemite. Next to the Yosemite, in the wildness of its scenery, is the High Pike Canyon. This canyon is situated upon the middle fork of King's River, about a hundred miles south. For many miles, its walls and domes present ever-changing views. A continual struggle is going on between the forces within the earth and the sculptor working upon its surface. First one, then the other, 
gains the advantage. Where the mountains are steep and high, often the forces within have recently been active. Where they are low and the slopes are gentle, the sculptor has long held sway. She begins by making the surface as rough and picturesque as possible, but after a time she destroys her own handiwork. End of chapter 4